0: Hi, hey everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Miss This week, we will be talking about the Grammy nominations, and then we will jump into our end of the year list or what is completed of them so far, if you are me. And then we also have our book pick figured out for January. So you will have ample time to read it. And it's not a super long book. So hopefully you guys will join us for that one. It's definitely a good one. Megan has read it, I believe, and I have not. So stay tuned to see what that is. But first, Megan, how are you doing today? I am pretty good. And we're recording
1: this on a different day than we normally do because we had some (laughs) surprise technical issues pop up the first time we tried. So happy late birthday, since your birthday was yesterday on the 14th. Yep, there we go. Yep, Should give you a shout out for that.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you. You're welcome. And... Like Megan said, we are recording this Thursday. I will be editing it immediately after, and you will also be getting it today. So, this is not our usual thing. The technical difficulty was totally my fault. I put a wrong setting, and my microphone recorded absolutely nothing. So, (laughs) can't really put that out as an episode. You would just hear Megan talking to herself with very, very long silences in between. (laughs) And nobody wants that. So, here we are, take two. But, Megan, I know you have a bit more to say about the Grammy nominations than I do. I know my main thing about it was that Beyonce was nominated for a rock category. Right. And that is because she did a song with Jack White and while yes, Jack White obviously it falls in the rock category, I just feel like, you know, there were so many great rock albums this year. Like, you know, could we not have thrown Butch Walker in there or, you know, (laughs) something like that? Well, and it was it was just an interesting choice for me. And I know you have a little bit more to say about Beyonce because you've listened to Lemonade way more than I have this year. mm -hmm. So why don't you give us your thoughts on her being nominated in a rock category?
1: It's not your typical rock category.
0: Like, this year, the way
1: that they did the nominations was a little interesting because in the best rock album, it's one metal artist, Gojira, and a bunch of what we would technically consider to be alt rock, like Panic at the Disco and Blink-182. However, in the best alternative category, we've got David Bowie, we've got Iggy Pop. These are artists that would technically be considered more rock over alt. Yeah. I mean, Iggy and David are legendary on their own. And to see that Beyoncé was nominated in the Best Rock Performance category is also very interesting because it's not technically so much a performance so much as it is a recording. Like, if you look at these other categories of the, the other nominees in this category, we've got Alabama Shakes from Austin City Limits, which is an amazing program. And we also have... Disturbed covering the Simon and Garfunkel classic Sound of Silence live on Conan. Right. So that was a bit of an anomaly right there. Um, What I noticed this year, too, with a lot of the nominees, particularly in the streaming category. Wow, there's no streaming category, particularly (laughs) in the hip hop rap categories, is streaming numbers may have been taken into account for these nominations. I mean, Chance the Rapper coloring book got nominated. Songs Off of There got nominated. Lil Yachty's Broccoli, I guess that's the song, I don't know, got (laughs) nominated. We all know that that's been streamed a whole lot of times. Um, But the other thing to put into consideration is that there's also a cutoff with the Grammy nominees. So it goes from, I believe, October 1st, 2015
0: to September 30th, 2016. Right. And that September 30th cutoff date is the same every year, no matter you know what day it lands on. So if it's a Friday, literally all of those Friday releases could be considered. But if it's a Thursday and then albums come out the next day, those don't make the cut. Right. Because there are a few that I would have loved to see nominated
1: this year, but they missed the cutoff. For example, will 2017 be the year that Childish Gambino gets nominated for a Grammy? I, I don't know. I'd love to see that, though. It was a great album. And going into these, I feel like with the nominees, I don't know. I feel like for some of them, like Record of the Year and Album of the Year, they had to just throw some artists in because in the Record of the Year, Album of the Year, it's basically the Beyonce and Adele show. Lemonade And 25 both were nominated. And I feel like even in Song of the Year, Formation's nominated. I believe Hello is nominated. Those two are definitely the strongest contenders. If you look at the Album of the Year category, we've got Drake for Views, Justin Bieber's Purpose, and a very surprising nominee, Sturgill Simpson with The Sailor's Guide to Earth. I enjoyed that record greatly this year, and I'm kind of rooting for him because he's an underdog. Like, of course, you know, I have a feeling this is Beyonce's year with her nine Grammy nominations, and he's up for a long shot. Right. I feel like every year the Grammy nominee, or the Grammy committee, rather, puts in some interesting curveballs. Like, remember the year, I believe it was two years ago,
0: that Beck won Album of the Year? That was surprising. And a lot of people were upset about it. So, you yeah. know, it it's... Sort of the thing where the Grammys are more for the artists themselves and not necessarily the fans, because obviously the Grammys are not fan voted or fan nominated Unlike and that sort of thing. the American
1: Music Awards or like the Billboard Music Awards. Right. And then the year that Arcade Fire won, that was interesting. But, you know, I'm kind of hoping, you know, Sturgill gets it because that's it's a great album. And the other thing... I was pleasantly surprised about this year, are the nominees for Best New Artist. Right. This year, I was talking about it with one of my friends, actually, and I said, you know what? I think this is the year that Maren Morris will be nominated for Best New Artist. She's up against Anderson .Paak, Chance the Rapper, The Chainsmokers, and Kelsey Ballerini, another country artist. And what's interesting is that these are all varied artists, two hip-hop stars, I guess you could say the Chainsmokers, and two country artists. It's interesting to not actually see a rock artist in that category this year. And when doing some research, actually when we recorded this for the first time on, uh, what was it, Monday, Tuesday, we were talking about this a little and how the last country star to actually win Best New Artist going back into, like, 2007, even 2010, rather. Right. Zach Brown Band won Best New Artist in 2010. And let's see, Amy Winehouse beat out Taylor Swift in 2008 for Best New Artist. And in 2007, Carrie Underwood won that. Right. So it's just interesting. And honestly, I hope the chain smokers don't win because they know. <laughs> Come on. All of the artists in this year's best new artist category are immensely talented. And I'm excited to see um, what happens.
0: Right. And I think what's really interesting too is that it's two women in country who are nominated because I know you don't follow mainstream country nearly as much as i do Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of newer guys or guy duos than there are women in country in general right now so it's like you know they picked basically the two new women in country
1: and thankfully thankfully they did not choose any of the bro country artists for best new artists like my god that is actually a genre by the way right bro country features artists like um Oh, I don't know. Florida Georgia Line. And I guess Old Dominion could be considered that. And um, Luke, Luke whatever. Brian? Yes, him. They're technically considered bro country. And it's not exactly an awesome genre. It's kind of annoying, especially Florida Georgia Line. I'll reserve my thoughts for that later. But while I'm thinking of the country thing, um, going back to Sturgill Simpson being nominated for Album of the Year, it's interesting because he is the sole i guess country artists per se in the right. in that category up against these people who've made names for themselves and basically it's bringing back vibes of who the fuck is bony bear or um all of the bonnie bear na- wow cannot talk today the bonnie bear memes that came out after they won and even with arcade fire when people were like who is this group even though they just performed like why are they important when they won i think it was album of the year for the suburbs and to play off of this what i really liked is sturgill simpson is now making a shirt that says who the fuck is sturgill simpson right because that was actually a thought many people had on the internet was just like huh okay this guy's gonna go up against beyonce and adele good luck to them (laughs) so it'll be interesting and i do like that the grammys this year or I guess in 2017, are not going to be hosted by everyone's favorite Kangol hat-sporting man, LL Cool J. (laughs) Instead, they're going to be hosted by James Corden. So there could be a lot of carpool karaoke involved. I know that was a thing when he hosted the Tonys this year. Right. He's a tremendous host, by the way. I loved what he did with the Tonys.
0: Yeah, I did not watch those. But before we move on to our end of the year list real quick, why do you think it is that they do the cutoff in September? Because the Grammys aren't until what? Typically early February? I believe so. So to me, it's like, why not just do the calendar year and just make everyone's lives so much easier because you're not doing them until February anyway. So I know they do the nominations before the end of the year, but it's like just release the nominations you know the first week of January. It's not like you have to do anything between announcing the nominations and having the actual award show necessarily. obviously, you have to set it up, send the invites
1: mm-hmm. and
0: whatnot. but they can know ahead of time and then just announce it to the public because, as you and I know, being in you know the music writing section of the music industry, not too many. Big, big releases are put out in December. Yes, Beyonce dropped a surprise album and Childish Gambino just released Awaken My Love, but those were still early enough in December where the critics would have had plenty of time to listen to them.
1: Well, it was interesting. If you think back to when Beyonce dropped her last album, which was actually the self-titled Beyonce record, that was also a bit of a surprise to everyone. And that one did not... I don't think it was nominated for anything. And that was a late drop. However, Lemonade came out in April, I want to say. It
0: was either April or
1: March. I'm leaning towards April because I was in Pennsylvania when it dropped. Um, When everyone was expecting a song, she goes and drops an album. So it, it makes sense for that to get nominated because it was well within the dates of being nominated. And I think it's because the Grammys fall under award season where you've got the Golden Globes. You've got the – well, actually, I think the Golden Globes already happened. I don't know. I get all these (laughs) award shows mixed up because there's so many. And it does – it kind of does complete that, like, big let's-go-watch-an-award-show-on-the-weekend type thing. Right. Because there's just so many. And I don't know. I don't think this is anything that the committee has really talked about or has actually put into full effect, but I think it's always been this way for the entire history of the Grammys, and it's going to be, what, the 57th annual Grammys? Right, Sounds about right? It's somewhere around there. I know it's not as old as my mother, so there's that. I should probably say, you know, sorry, Mom, (laughs) making you seem like to be a fossil on here, but you're not really that much of a fossil.
0: Yeah, so that... Sort of wraps up our Grammy discussion. I'm sure we will obviously cover it again once we find out who the winners are and everything in February. But as we should be doing, we are covering our end of the year list. Like I mentioned, mine's not totally complete, but I have my top eight out of 10 filled out so far. And Megan, I know you have a twice as long list yes, as I do, basically. I have a list of so 20. why don't you go ahead and kick us off with your 20 through 11?
1: All right. So It's kind of hard for me to put together an end-of-the-year list. It's never fun because there's so many good releases, and I
0: did actually have to redo it once this year because of (laughs) Childish Gambino. This is why I'm still not done, because I'm like, I like all of these, but which are going to get the last two spots?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so technically on my list, numbers 20 through 15 would technically be considered the honorable mentions, but I decided not to do that this year. I just said, you know what, screw it, I'm going to have this list of 20 so 20 is side pony by lake street dive 19 is david bowie's black star 18 is we're all gonna die by dawes who i saw live earlier this summer and they rocked they didn't play anything off of this album though so there's that let's see 17 is holy ghost by modern baseball because what would my list be without some sort of pop punk entity i mean really uh sixteen is Shapeshift with Me by Against Me, who is another band that I saw live this year, and I actually enjoyed their live set when I saw them twice, despite nearly dying the second time. Uh that's a I've already gone over that, so not a different <laughs> story. And then number fifteen is Chance the Rappers Coloring Book. You said twenty through eleven, right? Yeah. Okay. So those technically would be my honorable mentions. And then moving into the actual list itself, number 14 is 22 A Million by Bonnie Bear, which has had some mixed reviews across the board. And you'll definitely see that, I think, in the modern vinyl end of the year lists, where it, it's just interesting to see which one of the writers liked it, which ones didn't, you know, that sort of thing. Right. I'm losing my place here. Okay. Number 13 is True Sadness by the Avit Brothers. And if you hear jingling in the background, it's because my dog has decided to make an appearance and jump on my bed. <laughs> Hi, Shiloh. Giving the dogs with Misaligned to shout out here. Oh, right. And number 12 is A Sailor's Guide to Earth by Sturgill Simpson. Loved it. And I'll talk more about that album later for good reason. <laughs> okay. And then number 11 which was originally going to be my number 10 pick, and then Gambino dropped his album, is an album I've already talked about on the podcast, which is Kindly Now
0: by Keaton Henson. Nice. Yeah, and I will go ahead and just do mine backwards as well. We'll start at eight, go up to one. A lot of these are very similar in genre and I don't think that really reflects all that I listened to this year, because I did listen to, you know, the big hip hop and pop albums. It's just, I don't think a lot of those really stuck with me or impressed me as much as I were I, I was hoping they would. And I know Megan, and I already mentioned this to you, but I did give the new A Tribe Called Quest a listen mm-hmm. on Tuesday, and because I've only listened to that once, I've been hesitant to put it in my top 10, even though that might be the hip hop album I enjoyed the most from this year, just because of the fact that I've only given it one listen. And I know some people are like, well, you should just put the albums you've listened to the most in there, which is sort of what I've done with this top eight that I have. So it really depends on how many more times I give that a listen. But like I was telling you, because a lot of these hip-hop and pop albums have been really long. I haven't sat down and just listened to them straight through because, as you guys already know, I listen to a ton of podcasts, and that's on top of doing this and Welcome to Geekdom and editing both of those every week. So I spend a lot of time with podcasts, and I've been trying to find more of a balance between listening to podcasts and listening to music. And so far, that is it's not going as planned. So I still have a bunch of releases that I haven't listened to that clearly will not make my list because I haven't listened to them. But my number eight record right now is Intuit Over It's Standards. Seven is Brandy Clark's Big Day in a Small Town. Then we have All Get Outs, Nobody Likes a Quitter, Bayside's Vacancy, Yellow Card's Self-Titled, Maren Morris's hero, so you know I'm definitely rooting for her for new artists there for the Grammys. Two is Kevin Devine's instigator, and my number one right now is Jimmy World's integrity, integrity blues. I shouldn't say right now this list is pretty set. So I have two country albums in there, and the rest are you know similar in style and everything, but they were all great for different reasons and. Those those last two spots are really killing me right now because I have you know, Pine Grove's Cardinal that I really enjoyed when it first came out, but I feel like I haven't really stuck with it for the rest of the year, even though I did buy it on vinyl. And to me, buying something on vinyl is like, okay, I really like this. It's a great album. I want this on vinyl. So that has determined a good chunk of these top eight. I have, I believe, all but... Maren Morris and Brandi Clark on vinyl. That's just because I don't know why. I just don't really look for country vinyl as much. I know I have um, Casey Musgraves, uh, whatever, same trailer, different park. That's what it's called. The first album. I need to get that one on (laughs) vinyl,
1: actually. I bought the CD earlier this year because also I couldn't find pageant
0: material. Yeah, that's the only country album I have on vinyl. And it's just because... I don't tend to buy, you know, like records from major label artists as Mm -hmm. much because I try to put my money towards bands that definitely need it more. And obviously, Jimmy World, they're a big band. And, you know, that is sort of one exception I've made this year so far. Mm -hmm. But a lot of these records are, you know from Bad Timing Records, Hopeless Records, and, you know, the smaller labels that still do well for themselves. But buying something on vinyl definitely helps get it into my top 10 list. So since I have six out of eight on vinyl, it's like, all right, those are obviously going in there. But now I definitely want to look for Marin Morris and Brandi Clark on vinyl now so goodbye money <laughs> yeah I think Brandi Clark's is definitely on vinyl I'm not sure about Marin's. and it's I, I funny it is
1: you should mention having six of your eight on vinyl because I I don't actually think I have any in my list on no I take that back in my top five I have one album on vinyl Right. Go me. And in my top 20, I have two. So that would be (laughs) Shapeshift with me, which is a cool tour variant that I got when I saw them in October. And then another one that I'll get into when I actually discuss my top 10.
0: Yeah. And I, I just feel like, you know, these top eight for me are the ones I heard them. I was like, okay, I really like these. And I kept giving them listens because sometimes, you know when you have to review an album, you'll listen to it a few times, review it, and then you sort of take a break from it. And sometimes I forget about the albums, but a lot of these I reviewed them and then I still wanted to keep listening to them. So that's sort of another way I kind of gauge how much I liked an album. Mm -hmm. And I think I reviewed most of these, maybe not the two country albums, but I think I pretty much did everything else. I could be wrong on that. I know I did Kevin Divine and I'll get out, and I believe I did Bayside. Yes, yeah, she did do Bayside. Yes, you see, you edit my stuff, so y- y- we got two brains working this out here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's sort of, you know, when you're a music writer, you get so much stuff that isn't even on, you know, like Metacritic's release date calendar. And for me, it's like, okay, I try to plan out the big releases that I definitely want to listen to, but I don't really review big releases as much just because if I do that, I'll be waiting typically until the day it comes out to... Re- listen to it a few times, and then review it. And it's like, by that point, everyone's already read, you know, the spin review, the pitchfork review, and it's like, okay, no one cares. So I try to definitely focus more on the stuff that is sent to me. And then that is why I am now playing catch up with all of these big releases, because I just don't pay as much attention to them or cover them as much on Fi Noise. And I know since you have been editing my reviews, obviously, you are well aware of that as well. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it makes it a little harder to do my end of the year list too, because I'm like, okay, I listened to, you know, well over 100 albums. And at some point, you have a lot that you enjoy. So then it makes it even harder to whittle it down to 10, or even in your case, 20. And it's like, okay, this is starting to get exhausting. So what I've been trying to do is I've been trying to keep track as I go through the year. I don't just make a list of everything I listen to, but I bold the things that I really enjoyed when they came out. And then at the end of the year, I go back and I check that and I'm like, okay, am I still listening to this? Yes or no? And that sort of helps me figure out what ends up on my list. And all of these were a yes. Makes sense. Yeah. So now just two more spots to fill and then I will be good. (laughs) I will... Write this probably this weekend, and have you edit it next week so I can finally probably be the last person to get my end of the year list up. <laughs> it happens. Some people actually just wait until the end of the year to publish it
1: because it's right. literal end of the year, not beginning of December. End of the year list. Um, mm-hmm. I know a few people regretted having theirs come out so early because of Childish Gambino's release and a few others. Yes, but you know what? That's life, and that's the way everything happens. Made me glad i waited this year. And <laughs> yeah. The other thing is I put together some of my favorite songs of the year into a nice little playlist. Right. And I will actually tweet this out from the account whenever it's finished. Right now, like I'm planning on making it a 50 songs list. And before I get into my top 10, I'm going to, you know, take this little tangent and talk about my songs list. Um, it's interesting. I decided to go for 50 songs this year. I currently have 40 songs on this list. And actually, it might be 41 soon, because I was thinking about this when I was driving earlier. And yep, it'll be 41 by the time I finish talking. Um, (laughs) They're basically, I can't order 50 songs in terms of how much I liked them. The only ones that I have that are actually in order are my top five, which is Daddy Lessons by Beyonce, which hands down was one of my favorite tracks off of Lemonade, followed by Freedom with Kendrick Lamar. But the version on Spotify is not the album version because as of right now, it's still not on Spotify. (sighs) And I'm not signing up for a fourth (laughs) title trial just to listen. Um, Right. We all know my gripe with that. Uh, It's actually the version that she re-recorded with the Dixie Chicks, which I think is really cool. And honestly, I think that this version is much better than the original. So going back to the Grammys, she actually was snubbed in the country category. Technically, Daddy Lessons would have been an excellent contender for the country category. A lot of country artists came out in support of that Particular song and said, Hey, this is actually a country song. But the committee didn't really think so. And I mean, they already gave her a
0: nod in the rock category. So. Right. Specifically for country, though, I think they go more based on radio play for country because that is such a huge part of country music. And I know at the country award shows, they specifically have awards for radio stations. Mm -hmm. And I don't think. I mean, typically when I'm in my car, it's just naturally on a country station because, you know, that's just what I leave it on because they seem to have fewer commercials sometimes. But when I'm actually listening to the radio, I don't think I've heard that song played on country radio, which is surprising to me because, like you said, the country community received it very well. And I... I mean, it's not like I'm in my car a whole lot and listening to the radio a whole lot because often, more often than not, I plug in a podcast or Apple Music and listen to that. But it was sort of surprising to me that, you know, she would get the nomination for a rock performance, but not for, you know, necessarily a country performance, even when they performed it live. Mm-hmm. And going back to that, too, with the rock performance, Jack White
1: was actually nominated for a few other Grammys. I believe one was best uh, best roots revival or something like that for something he released earlier this year. Um, a few production credits, I believe. I don't know, not off the top of my head. So that's maybe why she got that nomination because he already had an in with some of the committee. Who knows? We're not Grammy people here. We don't know the inner workings of their head. Um, Right. But continuing on here with this list. um, Number two is Roll Tide by Dawes off of We're Gonna Die. I am not an Alabama fan by any means. And of course, you know, my first Penn State football game was Penn State versus Alabama back in 2011. What a time to be a football fan. Um, But I really love Roll Tide. And then number three is I Did Something Weird Last Night by Jeff Rosenstock off of Worry. Number four is Freddie Gray Blues off of Kevin Devine's Instigator. And number five is Fireworks from Puberty 2 by Mitski. On my list of these songs, too, what's interesting is that the newest song which is also I'm glad I waited, is Governed by Contagions by At the Drive-In, which is their first song in, first new song, I should say, in 16 years. Right. Oh, they've still got it. It's awesome. I love it so much. But then I have artists like The Weeknd on here, Frank Ocean, Banks and Steals, uh, Lady Gaga's Million Reasons is on my list. Have uh, Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness's Fire Escape which I think is the strongest single off of his forthcoming uh, Zombies in Brooklyn. No, I don't know. I can't even think of the name. It's got zombies in it. I might be (laughs) thinking of like Brooklyn, You're Killing Me, which is his second single. Um, Let's see. I also have clipping from their uh, contribution to the 30 Days, 30 Songs project. And if you're not familiar with clipping, it is David Diggs from Hamilton's Rap Project, which is signed to Sub Pop, which is really cool. Uh, Let's see. Avett Brothers are on here. This technically might have been, I I don't know if Churches re-released Every Open Eye this year or something. I'm mixing up things, but I have the Churches and Haley Williams version of Barriott on my list as well. And, of course, you know, Maren Morris is on here, Lucy Dacus, Japanese Breakfast. Um, some albums that definitely would have made it into my top, like, 25. So it's a very varied, varied mix. And right. given my top five songs, pretty much most of those albums, with the exception of Dawes, are in my top five. So going back to my top ten that I figured out... I've had this done since December 5th. So number 10 is obviously Childish Gambino's Awaken My Love. Nine is The Dream Is Over by Pup, which definitely was a favorite of ours on the podcast this year. Even when Caitlin was on, we talked about Pup a lot. Speaking (laughs) of Pup, actually, if you haven't seen the video for Sleep in the Heat, uh, bring a box of tissues with you, it's going to hit you in all of the feels. I mean, I cried watching a music video and I wanted to hug my dogs after watching it. Uh, Just to, you know, put that into perspective. And it features Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things. Those kids are everywhere, I swear. It's awesome. Right, yeah. So let's see. Number eight is Teens of Denial by Car Seat Hydrast. I saw them back in September. And they have gotten a lot of acclaim this year, and it's awesome. Will Toledo actually is from Virginia. He's from Leesburg. And I think I've heard James joke about that before. I know it's been talked about in the music community down here. Um, Anyway, number seven is To Be Everywhere is to Be Nowhere by Thrice. Six is Blonde by Frank Ocean talk about surprise releases i think 2016 was definitely the year of the surprise right because frank blessed us with not one but two albums but blonde clearly got more acclaim um number five is worry by jeff rosenstock four is instigator by kevin divine and that is the other album from 2016 that i have on vinyl right because i pre-ordered that when i saw they went live and i love it it's great Uh, Number three is actually going to surprise a lot of people who know that I love Beyonce and know how much I've talked about Lemonade, but Lemonade is not my number one pick this year. It's actually my number three, and my list this year, oh, my dog is back to say hello. Shiloh just wants to be in on the podcast today. You know, that's okay. Now I can talk about dogs and have a dog with me again. But my list this year is so varied. There are a lot of artists of color on it. It's not just like white men that seem to dominate everyone's lists. And my top three artists are actually women of color. And I think that's an important distinction to make because they all made great albums. Right. So number two is Mitski's Puberty 2. And I've been saying for a while if Mitsuki was around when I was growing up and in my formative teen years I probably would have turned out a little differently because representation is very very important she is also a half Japanese person and you don't really see a lot of artists who embrace their heritage like that so I thought that was kind of cool um and I love puberty too And also, fun fact about Mitski, Francis Forever is not on Puberty 2, but it was featured on Adventure Time this year. Marceline the Vampire Queen actually sang part of it on the show. And if you haven't seen that episode, it is the music hole. And it's really cute. I recommend watching it. And not just because of the Mitski song. Um, (laughs) And then number one, in a first for me this year where siblings actually take the top spots. I have Beyonce's sister Solange with a seat at the table. I thought that was a phenomenal album. I loved her performance on SNL. And I have to say, both Noel sisters are just immensely talented. But right. I think Solange kind of goes under the radar. She's done collaborations with Chromeo. Now, oh, my gosh, that was one of my favorite songs back when they (laughs) released their last album. But she's very underrated. And I think she has a nicer vocal range than her sister. She's definitely less pop oriented and more jazzy R&B-esque. If you haven't listened to A Seat at the Table, I highly recommend it. Cranes in the Sky is a fantastic track. Or just go watch her SNL performances. They are so good. And, of course, everyone thinks of Solange as the girl that sang the Proud Family's theme song. Which is true. She did sing that theme song for that Disney show back in the day.
0: I had no idea.
1: Yeah. Actually, I think she had some help from Beyonce as well. Or people know her as the girl who beat up Jay-Z in an elevator. (laughs) I think that one is more likely at this point. Probably. But it's always good to hear, you know, talented siblings. Right. The Jonas Brothers, you know, had the opportunity to be talented siblings. But then Nick decided to go a pop route instead of Nick Jonas and the administration, which I thought was a great project joe is off doing whatever joe does i think with dnce
0: yeah he's in that
1: yeah that's not a very good project i don't think (laughs) and then kevin's just off enjoying dad life right so three very different things going on there oh well but the noel sisters definitely definitely deserve to get more praise and more acclaim And not just because of who Solange's sister is, but because she's incredibly talented all on her own.
0: Right. Oh, I love her. I love them both. (laughs) So Awesome. There's that. Well, do you have anything else to say about your albums for the year? Obviously, I will continue to try and fill out those last top two spots. It's like I already know what I want for my honorable mentions. It's just a matter of, Finding the last two to round out my top 10 before I go forward with honorable mentions.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, this is something I put a lot of thought into. And right. it shows. Like, I,
1: throughout various parts of the year, I'll write albums down in a notebook and then be like, okay, I want to do this. I want to do this. I think this will go here. It's been something I've been doing for years. And I'm actually proud of my list this year. Like I said, it might be one of the most diverse lists I've had in a long time, which is good. I think the yeah, music definitely. scene should definitely, definitely embrace that diversity. And I like that. More people start need to start, you know, talking about how great and how wonderful and how rich the diverse music scene is. I mean... We can't always listen to what the white males of the world put out because sometimes they get overshadowed by amazing artists who definitely get over or overlooked, I guess is the word I'm looking for, who get right. overlooked because they're not as mainstream or not as on display as they should be. So I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. And I know the Modern Vinyl end of the year stuff will be coming out sometime next week. There's a whole list of what's going live. And I think everyone will be pleasantly surprised by what's in store from the Modern Vinyl family. We've got some great things lined up. I mean, there's going to be a... Top 100 Songs playlist of songs we all liked this year. There's going to be... everyone but me. (laughs) Okay, most of the writers, I should say. I don't even think it's all of us that contributed. But um, there's going to be... I don't think so. I just know I was late to the party. That's okay. We can talk about it now. (laughs) There's going to be... We're not doing an actual numbered write-up about our favorite albums i think it's just going in alphabetical order because it is hard to order stuff and we do we do have such varying tastes on staff that it's just like yeah it's fine
0: and i think that makes the site a lot more entertaining to read in general too and you know my list i think pretty much everything on my list would have been similar to at least a couple other people. I know Craig Manning and I have Mm -hmm. a lot of the same albums in our top list. Which is true. Um, There's been a lot of hip-hop influence this
1: year across the board. I think Zach and James are talking about a lot of pop-punk albums, and Chris too. And then Alan, David, and I tend to throw out some of the more indie sphere related albums if that makes any sense like just albums that come out of left field
0: not necessarily more obscure stuff just not quite as mainstream or pop punk scene focused
1: right and that's the beauty of you know being one of the writers on staff is that it's okay we embrace this diversity because we sometimes talk about albums that not many people have actually heard of. Or even the staff members are just like, oh, how did I overlook that? Yeah. So
0: it'll be fun. I'm excited for everyone to see that in our lists. Yeah. And I'm looking forward to reading all of it since I, you know, I'm still working on mine, but mine will all be up over at my website and Megan will hopefully kindly edit it for me. Oh, definitely. So it sounds nice. Reads nice. You won't be hearing my list. You'll be reading it. <laughs>
1: You know, we could also do like a little impromptu podcast where you are just
0: straight up reading your list. (laughs) Yeah, I'm just going to read my words to you. (laughs) No big deal. Yes. Awesome. Well, before we move on to recommendations, we have our book club pick for you guys. And this one will be for the end of January. I hope the end of January anyway. We have not really planned out when we are going to come back and start recording, but it will probably be the first week of January. So we will update you guys when we come back in 2017 with the exact date we will be doing the book club episode. But we want to give you the pick well ahead of time. So, you know, you can still sneak it onto your Christmas list if you make one of those. And we will be doing Nothing Feels Good, Punk Rock, Teenagers, and Emo by Andy Greenwald, who is currently doing his own podcast called The Watch, which if you guys have not checked that out, they talk about film, TV, music. I know they've brought up beach slang quite a bit. So if you're interested in those things, definitely go check that out. And he just announced actually that he is one of the co-producers, I believe, on the new Legion series that is coming to FX next year, which is the new like X-Men, Mutant, inhuman type thing going on over there i'm not sure of the exact details i just know it's comic book related i believe it's x-men related so there is that but yes nothing feels good by andy greenwald that is our next pick megan you have read this before correct i actually have not i think it's just no i think it's just a book that you and i have talked about yes i thought you read it oh that was everybody hurts different yes Similar, but different. Not by Andy Greenwald. One has pictures, one doesn't. (laughs) Yes, true. So we both have not read this, so that works out nicely. I've had it on my shelf for a while, so it just kind of stares at me every day like, please read me, as most of my books do. (laughs) No harm in that. True. Awesome. So again, Nothing Feels Good by Andy Greenwald. Definitely check that out. It is full on... Music based, so no surprise there. It's not one of our more pop culture books. It's, you know, strictly a music book since Andrew Greenwald used to be a music critic before he moved on to doing TV stuff for Grantland. And now he's actually writing for television or producing whatever producers actually do for television. I've never really been too sure of that. Oh, well, it happens. Yes. Awesome. Well, I am rambling now, so Megan, why don't you give us your recommendations for the week?
1: All right. So I've talked about Strigal Simpson a lot this podcast, and that's my recommendation this week. Just go listen to A Sailor's Guide to Earth. It's a nine-song album. It's really, really good, and it features a cover of Nirvana's In Bloom. I'm pretty sure. I'm going to go double check that right now. (laughs) Um, But yeah, his... Oh my gosh. Now I've got both of my dogs. They just want to say hello. Now I've got Dixie who literally wants to get up and record with me. Hi. <laughs> so let's see. Today's Missaline brought to you by Technical Difficulties and Dogs. Yes. Um, But yes, his Nirvana cover has actually been getting a lot of airplay. I've heard it a lot on WXPN out of Philadelphia as well as WNRN down here in Charlottesville and Richmond. And yes, in Bloom, it's a unique take on the Nirvana classic. And when I first heard it, I was like, wait a minute. This is like an alt-country version of Nirvana? What?
0: I thought it was awesome. So that is my recommendation of the week. Nice. And my recommendation is Star Wars related. Actually, I guess you could say I have two recommendations because the first one is going to be go watch Rogue One this weekend if you're a Star Wars fan, but that's sort of a no-brainer. It comes out tomorrow, and I will be seeing it 9 a.m. Saturday morning. And you can definitely expect me to do a podcast about it for my other podcast, Welcome to Geekdom. That will happen at some point when it will go up. I'm not sure, but hopefully sooner rather than later. But my other Star Wars recommendation is to check out the books if you have not. I know some people aren't big on reading, unlike Megan and I, but if you are interested in knowing more about the canon timeline in general, the books fill in a lot of information that won't necessarily end up in the TV shows or movies. Like, for example, the last book I read was Ahsoka, which is based all about all around Ahsoka Tano, who was in the Clone Wars and left. And then she has reappeared in Rebels. So it sort of fills in that gap of what she was doing in between those two shows. So it's definitely crucial if you want to be a Star Wars completionist. <laughs> but those are my two recommendations for the week. And as always, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for letting us continue to do this through all of 2016. We are excited to be back for 2017. And we're glad you guys keep listening to this podcast every week or, you know, whenever you feel like it, either is fine with us. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. Yes. And as always, we hope you enjoy the rest of your day or the rest of 2016, whichever you prefer to enjoy the most.